have no doubt love is the most powerful force at work in the world today. From love comes the power to raise the dead. From love comes the power to transform our eternities. From love we get hope. But without love, the situation is pretty grim. Without love, nations turn on themselves. And when nations do not love, you get the Rwandan genocide of 1994. You get the Kosovo War of the mid-90s. The genocides and civil wars in the Congo and Sudan and the current despotic oppression in Syria and a number of other nations around the world. A nation turning on itself, oppressing, murdering its own people because there is no love. When the church doesn't love, you end up with half-empty buildings at best because the church without love is irrelevant it makes no difference and people aren't attracted to it because it has nothing to offer them and the one thing we should be offering is love this is where people should find it but too many people turn up on a church door on a Sunday and they do not experience love and so they don't come back next week or again, without love, the church is self-righteous, it's hypocritical, it's bigoted, and it's a waste of space. And so it's no wonder that less than 10% of New Zealanders actually want to spend any time with us. When families do not love they hurt each other. Police in this country are called to more than 200 domestic violence episodes every day. It's one every seven minutes on average. And the police estimate that only 18% of domestic violence incidents are actually reported. At least 74,000 children and young people aged under 17 were present at domestic violence incidents last year that were attended by the police. When families do not love, they tear themselves apart. And that's why one third of all marriages in New Zealand fail and end in divorce. Somewhere along the line, things broke down and the love that binds you together and holds you there is gone. What's sad is that there are no difference now in the statistics in Christian marriages. It doesn't make sense, does it? Surely in a Christian marriage, there should you know, be extra love. You know, a cord of three strands and all that. Turns out those Christian marriages perhaps aren't built on three strands at all. 
when we don't love ourselves, we lose all value for life. 558 New Zealanders killed themselves in the last year. I was trying to put that into context. I was thinking if everyone who came along to the fight service on Friday, everyone who came along to a service here at the Rock this morning, and now all these people in a room, we then lost hope and killed ourselves. That's not quite the numbers we're actually talking about. It's a lot of people every year who lose hope to the point where they can't go on. It's higher than the national road toll. On top of that, there are more than 2,500 admissions to hospital for self-inflicted harm. Intentional harm. And there were 16,630 abortions in New Zealand last year. Because without love, life loses its value. We all need to learn to love ourselves and others a lot better. I'm sure a few here would challenge the suggestion that we need to be more loving. But the question is, is how? I certainly want to be a better guy. But how do I turn that feeling of wanting to be better into actual reality? How do I become more loving? How do I experience more love and see God's love grow in me? That is the question that I want to explore over the next couple of weeks. And it's going to start here. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. The answer to everything that we're searching for is ultimately going to end and lead us to hit this point. It'll lead us to God. And the search for love ultimately always leads us to God. And the truth is that, as it says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Not just that God loves. Love defines him. Love emanates from him. It is his essence. Without God, there is no love. God is love. And then Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says that we are created in the image of God. And there's a formula here that I'd like us to explore just for a minute. Because if God is love, and we are made in his image, what does that say about us? Well, that depends. Depends on, well, what does it mean to be made in God's image? The American Heritage Dictionary defined an image as a representation, a likeness, or a reflection. I believe that is very much what it means biblically. That we were made to reflect who God is. We are God's idea. He dreamed us up. And he, he made us, he formed us, and he said he made us in his likeness. That we would be a reflection of who he is. We would represent his qualities. 
And so God built into us the capacity to be like him. Not in every way, but in the best ways. So there are some things that, that God is that we don't represent. So obviously we're not uh, omnipresent or omniscient or omnipotent. We haven't got any of the omnis, but we've got a lot of, lot of other really cool stuff. Because what he has built into us is the capacity for love, to be merciful, to be just, to be kind, to be righteous, to be compassionate, to be good. This potential is in us all. And when we display these qualities, we reflect him who created us in his image. So I believe we all start with love, or at least the potential for love from the very beginning. I believe it is woven into us. My daughters are only one and two, but I see them loving on each other and on me and Leslie in the most beautiful ways. They can be so incredibly just selfless and, and just have, have no sense of, of, of themselves. They just give. And that blows me away. They can also be little brats and turn into monsters and just, it's weird. But, but it seems to me that love is a lot closer to the surface with them than it is with, with me. I think that's because it hasn't been smashed out of them yet. It hasn't been taught out of them. It hasn't been hurt and burned out of them. So whatever love they have received from God himself and from us is sitting there. And uh, I can still see that there are, there's a war within them. And it's the same war that's in everyone. There's the war between the image of God which is imprinted on them and the sinful nature that is in us all as well. And it's at war at them. But at the moment, it almost seems like the image of God is almost kind of winning. And we're trying to do everything we can to encourage that. Because the sad reality is, the older they get, without the power of the Holy Spirit within them, the sinful nature will gain ground. Week after week, month after month, year after year, the sinful nature gets stronger and stronger because the world is feeding that nature. And everything they're soaking up from the world is feeding that in them. It's being drained from us in a world that does not nurture love, but it cultivates greed, corruption, and selfishness. And almost every interaction we have in the world from the media, from people around us, is just reinforcing this idea of fighting for yourself and what you want to the exclusion of everyone else. And so I believe everyone has the potential to act in love because everyone is made in God's image. But the reality is, though, that image has been distorted and obscured in us all, some to the point where you can't even see it at all. But God's plan is for us to be reconciled to him and to be restored to the glorious image we were created to reflect. And so God, God does something very special. When we give ourselves to him, surrender ourselves to him, God gives us his Holy Spirit. And that spirit begins a marvelous work in us, as the Apostle Paul shares here in these verses. Romans 5, 5. 
hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 1 Timothy 1.14 The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.7 For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love and self-discipline. In Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. And God gives us a deposit of love in the Holy Spirit when we give ourselves to him. He puts that in each of us when we become a part of his family. And that gift of the Holy Spirit and gift of love are irrevocable. He's not taking those back. They are in us all and will remain there. But they can remain quite hidden because we can lock it away. And a lot of us do. Put it away in a little compartment deep within. Maybe we'll open it up on a Sunday. Maybe at Life Group or Friday if we're involved in other activities which are Christian. Maybe we... uh, give it a special room on Christmas Day and probably Easter. Or maybe set up a tree or a special shrine at Easter time. But for most of the time, that love and the Spirit are locked away. That was never what God intended. And so the love of God doesn't seem to transform us because we don't give God license to do that. And here's the, the interesting thing with how God operates. As powerful as God is, he does not force himself on us. What he does is he makes a very loving gesture and offers himself to us. And if we want to partner with him, cooperate with him, his power in us will just do amazing things. But he does not force himself upon us at all. He gives us the freedom to choose to engage with him, the freedom to choose to accept the gifts he gives us and to use those gifts. But if we don't want to, Sad as it makes him, he will let us determine our own future on that. If we allow him to, God can continue to build love in us. As Paul reminded the Thessalonian church in these verses. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love in Christ's perseverance. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Those verses in First and Second Thessalonians highlight the fact that God can direct us to his love. He can make our love increase and he teaches us to love. What is difficult here is that if this is the case, why isn't the church an irresistible force of God's love in the world? We are God's people. We have the Holy Spirit. We should have love in spades. should be pouring out the doors. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Why not? Well, simple answer is, I don't really know how 
how loving we want to be. We say that we want to, to be loving and be a loving people. But when it comes down to it, love is, love is quite a difficult lifestyle to live by. Love isn't particularly convenient. And love contradicts pretty much everything within our human nature. True love means being truly selfless and putting others before ourselves. And for the most part, we are reluctant to act against anything that we don't see as being in our best interests. Love for us is a luxury. We'll give whatever's left, and as needy and greedy as we are, there is relatively, or is very little left at the end of any week. We could be tempted to think that love is that feeling we get when we see uh, a poor Ethiopian child all skinny with a distended belly and we feel, we feel sad inside and we think that's love. That's not love. Love would be the irresistible force that compels us to do whatever we could to help that child and children like it. It would make us get out our credit card and give sacrificially. But no, no, we have that little feeling. You know, that little feeling actually makes us feel better. Oh, you know, I'm loving because I feel bad about that. Oh, well, what's for tea? Real love requires very hard choices and completely different lifestyle where, where what we want isn't anywhere near the top of the priority list. So we don't love God or others very much at all because we love ourselves too much. And we can't help it. Or so it seems. What is interesting is that there are two extremes which a lot of people seem to to fall uh, to either side. And one is loving ourselves too much, not caring about others and only really being interested in, in what we want. And the other extreme is not really loving ourselves very much at all. And both of these extremes can really hold us back from experiencing God's love. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. The source of love is God. But what if we are not experiencing God's love? How do we love then? I've met a lot of people who have come to uh, an understanding that they are sinful, that they uh, are corrupt and need God to sort them out. People who believe that God is real, that God created them, and even that Jesus died for their sins. But they have struggled to take the next step to actually give themselves over to him and receive his gift of salvation because they are so overwhelmed by their own sinfulness and their lack of worth that they just can't see how they are worthy to receive God's love. It's like that conviction of sin has done too much to them. So they are just too unworthy to receive God's love. And so they, they, they just can't give themselves to it. It's almost like if I receive your love, God, that diminishes you because I am too miserable for you to accept me. And it's remarkable how many people actually feel like that. Now the truth, well I believe the truth is that uh, I am not worthy 
of anything that God has for me uh, from my own merit. There's nothing uh, that I have done, uh, nothing within me and my natural self at all that is worth anything that God has done for me. I haven't earned his gifts. I don't deserve them. So in that sense, I'm completely worthless. But I am so worthy of what he has done for me. And this is why. I am worthy, and you are worthy, because he said you are, and because he said I am. He esteemed me to be worth dying for. He looked at me and he determined, you are worth my life, you're worth dying for. He determined my value. Who am I to challenge that? He knows me better than anyone else. He created me. The maker gets to decide what it's worth. And he said, you know what? You're worth dying for. So get over yourself and accept my love. Our own lack of self-worth can be a real stumbling block to us receiving and experiencing God's love. And that, of course, becomes a barrier to us growing in his love. So even if we do accept the gift of salvation, it's just, it's just a, a point along the journey. If we want to grow into him and understand what it means to follow him and experience everything he has for us, we need to get what his love is. And we need to let him pour it on us. God has determined that we are not worthless. He has adopted us as his children, his sons and daughters, and we need to recognize this, accept it, and the love he wants to shower on us. And as we learn to receive his love, it changes everything. And that is illustrated beautifully in this story in Luke chapter 7 from verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke to him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him uh, 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. 
the woman in the story was in love with God. And she showed a devotion that the religious man could not comprehend. She was able to love like she did because she understood how Jesus loved her. She had experienced Jesus' love, and that experience had transformed her. The Pharisee in this story was blinded by his own self-righteousness. He could not see how much he needed Jesus and his forgiveness. He was too proud to surrender to Jesus and receive the new life he had for him. And so the man did not encounter the love of Jesus that was right there for him to grab. He just didn't get it. Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, saying this in chapter 3 from verse 17, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul knew that the more the Ephesians understood and experienced the love of God, the greater capacity would be crafted in them to receive God's love. The more they got it, the bigger the tank would grow. The more we allow ourselves to experience God's love, the more we can come to embody it and let it shape who we are. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He was saying, grab hold of what God has given you, what he has done for you. Take hold of that love and do the same to those around you. Growing in love starts by actually experiencing it. Recognizing God's love in your life. Letting it do a work in you. And then taking that love and sharing it with those around you. The question for us tonight is, how deep, how wide, how high is our revelation of God's love? Not the revelation we got when we first received the gospel. God has so much more for us than that. What is your revelation of God's love today? Are your eyes open to see the love that he's pouring out on you now? Does God's love feel fresh to you right now? Or are you living on what you received in the past? It's hard to live a life of love when we're living on a revelation that we received years and years ago especially when you recognize God is pouring his love out on us every day. But it's like we've got an umbrella up. There is one revelation that should stay fresh for us every day. I've spoken in a communion message 
a number of times the idea of uh, the communion meal we take. Not being something that we do you know, once a month or once a year in some church traditions, but something that we should reflect on every day. The communion meal being that time when we uh, meditate on Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Because that should stay true and real for us every day. I want to live in gratitude for what he did for me every day. I want to, that to be real for me. Not that Jesus is on the cross for me every day. My sins are forgiven. But I want to live in the knowledge of that love. Um, I actually took that to an extreme. And I'm, I'm sure not everyone agrees with tattooing. But um, when I was 19 years old, when I was reflecting on this, and just thinking about how often I, I get into a slump where I forget about who God is and what he's done for me, uh, I wanted to have some kind of remembrance. And also reflect on how it seems like the Israelites, it would be like God would do something amazing for them one day, uh, like, like when I part the Red Sea or destroy an army or you know, stop the sun in the sky or feed them out of thin air. He'd do this, and then the next day they forget. Very poor memories. Uh, I'm not sure if, if that's you know, a genetic thing. But uh, this whole nation seemed to have a very bad memory. But it turns out I've got a pretty bad memory as well. I'm pretty good on cricket statistics. But I'm rubbish on um, remembering what God has done for me. And so I live in, uh, in an ungrateful mindset all the time. So I, I got a tattoo uh, of a crown of thorns on my arm so that I would remember whenever I saw it that... The king of heaven uh, was subjected to mockery and torture at the hand of some illiterate Roman soldiers. For me, I wanted to remember that, remember what he had done for me, and so I went to the extreme of having ink put on my body so I'd remember that. Because I don't want to forget just how much he loves me. Because when I remember that, I remember how much I'm worth, I'm worth dying for. And I, it's like I experienced that love all over again. And you know what? That makes me a more loving person. I'm more grateful. I want to share that with others. I'm just a totally different guy. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone runs out and gets tattoos to uh, remind them of stuff. There are pretty easier ways to do it. I was 19. What are you going to do? 19-year-olds, don't go get tattoos. But um, as some of the scriptures I have shared say blatantly, the Apostle Paul prayed for churches. He prayed that they would get it, that they would understand God's love, that they would receive more of it. And that's what I want us to do for each other tonight, that we'd be able to pray for each other, that we would have the same thing of, that the, uh, the Ephesians and the Philippian churches had, that we would have the power to understand, to grasp, just how amazing God's love is, that our revelation of his love would be new today and it would grow every day. Because that sets us up for everything else. Now, I've been searching the scriptures on, on this question, how do we grow in love? And it starts with this. It starts with getting it, understanding what his love is and receiving it. The more of his love we receive, the more the love within us is going to grow. So we need to start here. So I want to pray. I want to pray for each other now. 
yeah, I want us to pray together. Let's, let's, let's do this in groups. I want this to be personal. I want you to engage in this process. I want you to pray for each other. So, uh, yeah, let's do some small groups things. And, and this, this is the kind of things that, um, I mean, I believe the Holy Spirit can lead you in this, but these are the kind of things that I want us to pray. That we would have a greater revelation of God's love than we have ever had before. Because believe me, whatever you think you know about his love, not even touching the surface. Me, I don't know jack about his love. And I want to know everything I can about it. When I say know, I don't mean a head knowledge. I mean fully experience it, fully know it with every one of my faculties. Uh, my mind, my body, my heart, my soul, my spirit, everything. I want it to experience and know to the core of me his love. So pray for that. Fresh revelation. Pray for... Uh, an awareness of his love and how he is loving you every day. Pray that his love would be visible in you. People would see like his love in your eyes. Pray for uh, new encounters of that love. Pray for an awareness of, of what you have been forgiven of. That response that woman had in, in Simon's home, on, on her feet, weeping over, over him, pouring perfume over him. I want an experience like that. Maybe a little more masculine, I don't know. But I want like the core of me just to be ripped out and just to pour out love on God. And I know I need a deeper revelation for that. She was an incredibly loving person who loved God, and I want that. So how about we pray for those kind of things? Give the spirit room to lead you in this prayer as well. But I want to do this in little groups so that we can actually engage with this. This is personal, this is real. I don't want to throw some blanket prayer over all this. I want us to engage. If you're not into it, that's cool. But uh, I think there's something we can really go after right now. So can, um, 